Good afternoon. Welcome to another weekly edition of The Wrap. I'm Travis Fain, part of WRL State Government Team. And I'm Brian Anderson, also part of WRL State Government Team. Yeah, we got a busy week to go through here. I'm trying not to take too much of your time, but uh, there were some important hearings at the legislature this week uh, on the Cooper administration's uh, ability or lack thereof to help people quickly who lost their homes in Hurricanes Florence and Matthew. Uh, we're now obviously quite a few years uh, from those storm events, uh, but people whose homes are being rebuilt uh, through a federally funded program that runs through the state. So, you know, two levels of bureaucracy have been waiting a long time. Lisa Sorg at NC Policy Watch has done a ton of good work on this. Uh, and if you haven't read those stories, I would encourage you to do, do so. They'll be easy to find online. Um, it's kind of a mess, Brian, and I know this wasn't your story, but I, I imagine you followed it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's it, you have hurricane victims who have been having their homes destroyed, just waiting. I've, I've seen people who have been waiting six years and very minimal progress. Uh, and, it, you know, it's just uh, for, for many residents, an inexcusable situation. Yeah, and I want to look anytime, as I said on Twitter, a Republican run legislature and Lisa Sorg, who is probably the state's preeminent environmental reporter, uh, also a great environmentalist and, uh, you know, works for left leaning policy watch. When those two sides agree that there's a problem, you got a good bet there's a problem. And I just to quote Lisa's story of. Uh, Yesterday, Thursday, bureaucratic snafus, arbitrary decision-making, inconsistent protocols, and even arrogance at NB Rebuild NC's top leadership have inflicted dire consequences on thousands of people. There's no ambivalence in that statement. Uh, some of this is federal, though. Uh, there, there's something called authorization. So, Ryan, when, when, when new money gets authorized... It, it's not just enough that Congress votes. The agency that runs it, in this case, HUD, the Department of Housing and Urban Development, has to write all these rules. And that takes months. We saw this during the pandemic, too, with quote-unquote emergency programs with hundreds of millions and billions of dollars that Congress would pass. The money wouldn't get released to the states to do their part for months because all these rules had to be written to. Uh, Senator Tom Tillis is working to address this with the CDBGR uh excuse me, CDBGDR money, disaster relief money that we're talking about here that is meant to rebuild build people's homes and is meant to take kind of a long time to spend anyway. That's the pot of money we're talking about here. But we can cut out months, maybe a year on the front end if instead of making HUD write rules every time one of these grant packages gets okay, it just becomes an authorized program so that the rules are roughly the same every time. Like I said, Senator Tillis has got a bill to do that. Others have bill to do that, but it's just part of a broader bipartisan discussion at the federal level. Uh, and that's before we get to the state level. But um, yeah, I mean, the point being, if it's an emergency, most people associate emergency with imminence and immediacy. Uh, months and even a year upwards is not immediate for people. Yeah, it, nobody disputes that we can cut out some of this red tape. Nobody that I've seen, at least. So, you know, let's... Let's do that. Uh, you broke a little news today, Brian. I mean, I guess it was kind of the one of the worst kept secrets in North Carolina politics. <laughs> but you got the man himself to say it. Tell us what Dale Falwell's thinking about. Yeah, I, I broke the news that has been chatter for a while, but not actually spoken by the man himself, uh, on the record at least. 
Uh, until recently. So I recently spoke with North Carolina Republican State Treasurer Dale Falwell. He's been rumored to have to be considering a run for governor in 2024, uh, where he would presumably face uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, who has pretty much all but announced his run at this point. Uh, he's right. previously said he's 95% likely to do it, would announce maybe around after thinking about it over this year's holidays. Uh, but for Falwell, it's it's very interesting. He, you know, he said he's going to be trying to camp. He would campaign on a message of results and in his words, not rage, uh, which is alluding to Lieutenant Governor Robinson's history of of insulting comments on political opponents, the LGBTQ community, a number of people. And so what Falwell's trying to do here is in his view, return to the word conserve in conservative politics, sort of going back to, you know, fiscal responsibility messages. I mean, he's he's the stiff policy guy. Uh, Robinson is not the stiff right. policy guy. Uh, so that would make for an interesting contrast. And I, I just looked, hey, what's the recent history of competitive races? And in 2008, there was a Republican gubernatorial primary between State Senator Fred Smith uh, I believe, and uh, former or then Charlotte Mayor Pat McCrory. Uh, and so that was a competitive contest, but not between two existing statewide office holders. Uh, so there is certainly precedent in North Carolina. We saw it with just this election cycle for the U.S. Senate having competitive primaries and intraparty fights among Republicans. But at the gubernatorial level, hasn't really happened in the last 15 years, um, and certainly not at the level of Falwell and Robinson primary would be. Yeah, and I mean, the Falwell ran for lieutenant governor against Dan Forrest. I can't remember what year that would have been. I mean, several years ago, certainly before he was treasurer, and now Falwell has won, I believe, two statewide elections as treasurer. But, you know, with Forrest and Falwell, you had, like you said, the straight-laced policy guy in Falwell, kind of boring but interesting. I mean, the man rides motorcycles or did up until he recently broke his arm in his sixties or however he is. So, I mean, this, how this, boring can you be if you do how that? How boring can you be? <laughs> right. Right. Um, he also calls the hospitals in this state cartels. So he's, he's willing to, he's willing to throw a few bombs of his own. There is some populism to his message, but you know, Dan Forrest, who was very good in a room, very polished, Republicans picked him overwhelmingly in the lieutenant governor's race over Dale Folwell. I think he would have, Folwell would have a similar problem this time out, but we shall see. Uh, I, I, I should note really quick, we just spoke recently with, um, you know, someone who has been calling on Falwell to run. Uh, Falwell said he had uh, been urged by uh, basically a group of, of state workers, uh, state employees association. Senior, or, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Artis Watkins is, is the head of that group. She's been a lobbyist in the Capitol for north of two decades, very influential person. Uh, and so I was told Watkins has encouraged Falwell to run. So I talked to, to Watkins today. We're recording on Friday. And she told me, quote, I don't know Mark Robinson, and I don't remember a time that our membership has discussed him. He's not on the radar as far as our organization. So some some pretty damning commentary from from her to not just say we back Falwell, but that Robinson doesn't really have the ties to the forty six thousand state uh, 
past and present workers who her group represents. So it's it's a vocal contingency and an important group in an election cycle, but everybody I've spoken with really considers Robinson the the favorite. Yeah, that, that, that's the the general wisdom. And, you know, Fulwell as treasurer oversees the state health plan. So he's going to work closely with Scenic on those issues uh, at the legislature and in state government in general. Uh, speaking of elect statewide elections, we, we are going to get at least one debate between uh, U.S. Senate candidates, uh, Sherry Beasley and Ted Budd, uh, October 7th, Spectrum. That's, there we go. We finally got one. Nothing, nothing spreads awareness like a, a Friday afternoon <laughs> debate uh, in North Carolina politics, technically one month and a day away from the election. So it's might not even be on, on voters' radar that even, I guess you want to say that far out. I mean, it's pretty close to the election, but we've seen shorter and shorter attention spans in, in recent election cycles and a lot of voters may have better things to do on their Friday nights than than watch a Senate debate. Uh, but it's been we've been waiting for a long time for this. The real question was, would Bud agree? Uh, he skipped out on four primary debates, as people will remember. And uh, there was some questions of whether that strategy would continue into the general. Sherry Beasley agreed to an association of broadcasters debate as well. We should note that. Uh, so Beasley agreed to two, Bud agreed to to one, which was the Spectrum uh, news debate. So here we are, <laughs> where there's a debate. Yeah, speaking of Bud, he's a co-sponsor in the U.S. House uh, of the Republican 15-week, post-15-week ban on abortions uh, with some limited exceptions. That's kind of the new bar for discussion. This is uh, the same bill that Senator Lindsey Graham has in the United States Senate. So that 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 there is kind of a coalescing Republican uh, position that 15 weeks will be the cutoff. Obviously, Democrats and Beasley do not support that. And, you know, Paul Shoemaker, longtime Republican consultant, out with some polling this week, <laughs> the, the upshot of which was, hey, guys, uh, abortion, probably not the best election issue for us. So you might want to calculate that uh, into your uh, in, 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 into your calculus, Republican candidates. Yeah, I mean, it. You would think Democrats' strongest messaging is abortion. Republicans' strongest messaging is, you know, inflation, economy concerns. So why not just if you just both sides would seemingly feel comfortable sticking to that. But, you know, uh, Republicans taking up abortion will ha has the potential to animate their their own party. It also has the potential to anger far more Democrats than it would win Republicans. Yeah, along the lines of animation, next weekend, starting Friday night, the former president, Donald Trump, he'll be in Wilmington. Uh, we learned yesterday that Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, the extremely controversial congresswoman out of Georgia, will be in Wake County speaking to the Wake County uh, party, uh, Republican Party at a gala they're having. And it's also the Salt and Light Conference. So uh, Trey Gowdy, Lauren Boebert, Mark Robinson will be speaking at the Salt and Light Conference in uh in Charlotte. So we just, for, for far right Republican politics, we are kind of the center of the universe next weekend. Yeah. One, one thing I should contrast that with is, uh, you know, there are some other races that, that are notable. Uh, one of the more boring, but important ones is the Supreme court race. Uh, certainly no Marjorie Taylor green like personalities in those contests, but you have uh, Sam Irvin, the sitting democratic, state Supreme Court Associate Justice, 
running against Trey Allen, who uh, has been who was appointed by Republican Chief Justice Paul Newby to sort of offer administrative guidance to court officials. Uh, and so that's that's probably the more fiery slash contentious race of the two that are up for grabs. Uh, and basically both sides are trying to make the case that they would be more likely to, to be consensus builders in a Supreme Court that's seen some reputational damage with tight 4-3 rulings and high profile cases like redistricting. The other race there is uh, two Court of Appeals judges with uh, Lucy Inman running on the Democratic side and Richard Dietz running on the Republican side. They're probably more more similar than Irvin and Allen would be, but uh, a key difference is, you know, just how much are you willing to let state the state legislature's written language carry out at the end of the day? Inman seems more receptive to kind of understanding a little bit more of the intent, and Richard Dietz is more matter of fact. Just look at the express language of the law. And if it's not absolutely vague, we shouldn't have a role in overriding it. Yeah, and the, we're getting quite a few forums at the Supreme Court level. You've covered two, uh, at least one of which I think streamed online so people can you know, kind of Google that up and find it. Uh, on the Record, which is WRAL's Saturday evening program, it runs either 7 or 7.30, it shifts sometimes, uh, will be about Supreme Court uh, races. We've got all four candidates there. So uh, educate yourselves. Uh, or you know what, just vote for the Republican or the Democrat. That's what it seems to come. No, let's to. let's go with readncapital.com and try and be an informed voter here. I mean, all right. All right. That's <laughs> uh, speaking of our state Supreme Court, I will note quickly, they agreed to take up the one of the three voter ID cases that is still pending on uh, what a law we passed in either 2018 or 2019. Uh, they'll take that up in October. So before a new court uh, would be elected. Uh, a lot of people see that as the Democratic majority that may not be a Democratic majority after November, uh, wanting to move more quickly on that. And the, court just, the court just quickly is 4-3 Democratic majority. Republicans just need one of, of, of two seats up for grabs to reclaim that. All right. And let's turn our attention maybe to Medicaid expansion. Not any huge update, like it's not imminent or any more imminent. Uh, but I will note, uh, you know, viewers or listeners will note that uh, the SAVE Act, which would give nurses more uh, scope of practice, would allow them to do more things without having to have paperwork signed by a doctor. Uh, supervision by paperwork is, is, is what the Nursing Association would call it. Uh, the SAVE Act has been packaged with certificate of need reform, which affects how hospitals uh, can and cannot expand. Uh, it's a fairly, it limits competition in the hospital sector. That has all been part and parcel of a Senate-backed proposal to expand Medicaid in North Carolina after more than a decade of North Carolina not expanding it. Uh, I The architect of that was uh, Phil Berger, uh, Senate President Pro Tem. I will note that he got the North Carolina Nursing Association Legislator of the Year Award this week, uh, as did Gail Adcock, who is a Democrat in the House and a nurse. Who would have had that on their scorecard two years ago? <laughs> right, right, right. As far as whether or not we're any further along the path on Medicaid expansion, there was a letter from UNC uh, Dean, medical school Dean Wesley Burks, who is also the head of UNC Health. So a major, major player in healthcare in North Carolina who said, we have made great strides forward in the last few months on Medicaid expansion. And quote, 
I am optimistic that the legislature can move a bill forward before the year comes to a close. Uh, now that was in response to some students that were pushing UNC Health to push the North Carolina Hospital Association to back off its opposition to certificate of need reforms so that the Senate's Medicaid expansion bill can move forward. And I'm thinking maybe this podcast is not the best venue to uh, explain the ins and outs of Medicaid expansion, Brian. Uh, the, the bottom line, it's a mess. <laughs> and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. There's certainly been uh, some chatter, particularly from more of maybe taking up a lighter version this bill of, of that Medicaid expansion bill this year. Berger hasn't expressed much interest in that. And, and maybe this will come down to what the election results are and, and what the makeup of the legislature next year would be. So maybe after between November 9th and the end of December, you get something, but it's it's not looking great today. A, a lame duck session certainly would not surprise me on this and or other issues. Uh, I spoke to Berger yesterday, so Thursday of this week, and he said uh, the entire package, quote, is what's important. Everything that's in the Senate package needs to be passed. Said he didn't sense any movement. Uh, from hospitals who oppose certificate of need reform or from doctors who uh, who are against the SAVE Act, the thing about nurses that we talked about a little bit. Uh, Berger said uh, he's willing to negotiate on details there, quote, but it's not a negotiation that's going to be successful if the other side basically says no. Also talked to the governor about this stuff this week. He said that you know, he, of course, supports Medicaid expansion. He said that he hears more talk about certificate of need reform than the SAVE Act in those negotiations to the extent that they're going on now. But uh, Senator Berger telling me that both are crucial as far as the state Senate is concerned. Absolutely. Let's see what else here. I, I got a couple of quick ones. Um, the Mark Meadows investigation continues six months after uh, Charles Bethia at The New Yorker made it pretty clear that, you know, Mark Meadows was not living at the location that he listed on his voter registration form when he voted. Uh, there was a story in the Asheville Citizen Times this week that, you know, reached out to the State Bureau of Investigation and they, they said, yep, yeah, we're still investigating that. No further comment, which is standard in those cases. I, I guess my point is six months seemed like a long time to figure out whether or not somebody was living where they said they were. I mean, the State Board of Elections already figured it out when they removed uh, remove Meadows from the voter rolls there uh, and, and made him no longer active. So that didn't take very much time. Sure. And that's prospective versus, you know, looking back in time at the time of that election. But uh, as I said on Twitter, Twitter, give me subpoena power. See if it takes me six months. I will. I, will accept I, I would not vote for give Travis Payne subpoena power. I would not back that bill. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'll also note uh, this is not a fully formed thing, but the NCAE, the Association of Educators, back in like 2014, uh, give or take, the legislature, Republicans passed a law that said unless you had 40,000, if you were an education organization like that, unless you have 40,000 members, you can't do automatic deduction from your paycheck for dues. So it makes it harder for organizations like the NCAE, which has been opposed to Republican policies in the legislature, to get members to pay dues because they can't get dues check off unless they hit that 40,000 target. So the state auditor was told, all right, every year you got to ask all these organizations how many members they have. And a bunch of organizations gave it to the state auditor because they weren't in danger of losing dues check off, but the NCAE was. So they never gave up the number until this year. And I don't know what has changed. 
But in the latest report that the auditor sends out, the NCAE has listed a membership of 26,000 people. I can't get NCAE on the phone to tell me why they changed here. So that's something we're watching. I don't know what it means yet, uh, but I am trying to, to shake it loose. So if you know something, world, please do let me know. I think that's all I want to get into uh, this week. The, the the governor likes diet sun drop. Go to Twitter if you don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> cheer, cheer wine is far superior, and that's 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 your fact check from me. <laughs> well, I mean that's that's bold, but I would also argue that that's apples <laughs> to oranges because cheer wine. I mean that is an extremely and exceedingly specific. And I would I would say though it is the the king and or queen of North Carolina uh, carbonated beverages. For sure. And I'll, I'll just say, uh, leave folks with, with this, just say, check NC Capital out this weekend. Uh, you won't want to miss it. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, Brian's got a little something coming that ain't little. So everybody have a good day, a good weekend, and uh, we wish you the best.